gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life, through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. Our Lord teaches us to plead with our Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yet in Matthew chapter 4, we read, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was led into temptation. He was not delivered from the evil one. Why? Well, consider the shape of the story thus far in Matthew's Gospel. The Son of God is born. The Son's life is threatened by the king. He flees to Egypt, and then out of Egypt I have called my son. The son passes through the waters in his baptism, and now the son finds himself in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. It is Jesus' story, but it is also Israel's story, isn't it? Having brought his son, the people of Israel, out of Egypt and through the waters of the Red Sea, God then takes Israel into the wilderness for 40 years. If we would understand why God sent Jesus into the wilderness, we need to understand why he sent Israel into the wilderness. And Moses tells us why in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, remember that Deuteronomy is Moses' speech to Israel at the end of their 40 years in the wilderness. Moses seeks to turn suffering to wisdom. He seeks to pass the lessons of the wilderness on to Joshua and those who are about to enter into the promised land. And so in Deuteronomy 8, verse 1, Moses reveals why God took Israel into the wilderness in the first place. Deuteronomy 8, 1, Moses says, Go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Did you catch that? God led his son Israel into the wilderness for 40 years that he might test them, that he might test them. Now that's the same word that gets translated tempted here in Matthew 4, perazzo in the Greek. It means to discover the character of someone by, by testing them, by trying them, by putting them to the test. God led his son Israel into the wilderness to test them, to see what was in their heart. And so just as he did with his son Israel, God now does with his son Israel. Jesus. He takes him into the wilderness to test him. Now you might point out, well, Matthew says Jesus was tempted. He was tested by the devil. How can you say it was God testing Jesus? Well, what does the text say? Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. You see, the same spirit breath of God who hovered over the waters at Jesus' baptism immediately carries him now into the wilderness 
into the devil's path. The devil is the tempter, the tester, the accuser. And so the devil will put Jesus to the test because the devil wants to see Jesus fail. He wants to see God's Son fall from glory as he himself once did. But even the devil is only a tool of testing in the hand of the sovereign God. We're reminded here of the story of Job, right? Where Job, too, is tested by the accuser, by Satan. But remember, it was God who proclaimed Job his righteous son, blameless in all his ways. It was God who prodded Satan, have you considered my servant Job? It was God who gave Job into the hand of Satan that he might test him. So it is with the greater Job. Satan is the instrument of testing, but ultimately it is the Father who tests Jesus in the wilderness. Unlike Satan, however, God is not trying to tempt and to entice the Son to sin. The Apostle James tells us God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. When God tests his son, it is not to lead his son into sin. God tests his son to prove his son, to refine his son, to reveal his son's glory, to reveal his son's true character, to show his son's quality, to reveal the glory of Jesus to the world. And so God led his son Israel in the wilderness to test them, now he leads Jesus in the wilderness to be tested. Matthew 4, verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, what was the very first test that Israel faced in their wilderness? Exodus 16, just after crossing the Red Sea, the first test Israel faces in the wilderness was the test of hunger. They had nothing to eat. How did Israel respond? We read there, the whole congregation grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Israel grumbled against God. Israel accused God. And despite this, God rained manna for them from heaven, bread from heaven. Forty years they ate manna in the wilderness. They never had to go hungry. Here in Matthew 4, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And so the Son of God faces that same test Israel faced. He was hungry. Verse 3, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. It's basically like he's saying, Your father made miraculous bread for his other son. Why not you? But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You notice, Jesus does not grumble. 
He does not accuse. He doesn't say, Father, did you bring me out in this wilderness to kill me with hunger? And Jesus doesn't even ask for the same treatment that God gave his other son, right? Though Jesus is starving, though he who is the bread come down from heaven is starving, he doesn't ask for bread from heaven. You see, Jesus already has bread. He has the word of God, which he believes is a truer kind of bread, which gives a truer life to the soul. Jesus shows he has the word of God because his only reply to Satan is the word of God. Jesus quotes uh, the same passage of scripture we read just a moment ago, Deuteronomy 8. Let me read you more of that passage. Moses said to Israel, The Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the passage Jesus quotes. And so where God's first son Israel failed, God's greater son Jesus proves himself faithful. He passes the test. Jesus takes the lesson of Israel's wilderness wanderings to heart. And he depends on the word of God and so Jesus keeps the fast. He continues to feast on God's word, even when his body is starving. And in this, Jesus shows himself faithful where another of God's sons failed as well. Right? God's son, Adam, did not keep the fast. He was not satisfied to live by the word of God. When the serpent came and tempted Adam, Adam ate of the food God had not given him. But Jesus comes as a new and better Adam, resisting the serpent's temptation, holding fast to the word of God, and thus passing the first test of the wilderness. And then we come to verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The devil can quote Scripture too. This is Psalm 91. It's a psalm that promises God's protection to those who trust in Him. So notice the serpent's subtle strategy here. You say you live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, here is God's word. Risk your life on it. But think about this. Jesus doesn't actually need the protection of Psalm 91 right now, does he? Psalm 91 is God's promise to save his anointed one when he is being attacked by enemies. Now, I admit Jesus is in a precarious position on the pinnacle of the temple, 
but Satan is not pushing him over the edge, is he? You see the subtle distinction here. Satan is tempting Jesus to put himself in danger in order to see if God will do what he promised. Satan is calling Jesus to put God to the test. Now, what was the second test that God's son Israel faced in their wilderness? Well, the very next thing, Exodus 17, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you, put, why do you test the Lord? Now Israel had already seen God being sovereign over the waters. They'd seen him turn the Nile to blood. They'd seen him part the Red Sea. They'd seen him drown the armies of Pharaoh. And already a chapter before, they had seen God make bitter water sweet for them so that they could drink. But in spite of all this, when the water has run dry, Israel still reserves their trust in God unless he will meet this need in this moment, in the way they demand, give us water to drink. So instead of passing the test, Israel turns the test on God. Moses says, why do you test the Lord? But still, God is rich in mercy, and so he gives them water from a rock that is stricken by the staff of Moses. And so God brings miraculous provision once again. But still, Israel's rebellion in this will be memorialized. The name of this place, we are told, Moses called the name of that place Massah, which means testing. Because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So now, in Matthew 4, Jesus, in his wilderness, faces that same second test Israel faced in theirs. Will you put God to the test? But once again, Jesus responds by quoting from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6.16 6, says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. You see, Jesus learned the lesson of Massah. He doesn't need to put God to the test. He is satisfied even with what God had done 1,500 years earlier. Jesus takes God at his word. And so Jesus passes the second test by refusing to put his father to the test. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. What was the third test Israel faced in the wilderness? It's kind of easy to miss because there's a lot of stuff that happens between the second test and the third test. 
But their third test does not come until they arrive at Mount Sinai. And there God gives them the Ten Commandments, and he gives the law to Moses, and Israel promises to obey these commandments. Commandments like number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And number two, you shall not make for yourself a graven image, nor bow down to them or serve them. And so, at Mount Sinai, God tests Israel with the third test of the wilderness to see what is in their hearts, to see whether they will keep his commandments. God calls Moses to ascend the mountain, to enter into his presence. And Moses is on the mountain for how long? Forty days and forty nights. That sounds familiar, right? Then Exodus chapter 32 tells us, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So as they did at Massah, at Sinai the people of Israel asked, is the Lord among us or not? They very quickly come to the conclusion he is not. So they ask Aaron to make gods for them. Gods they can see and touch. Gods that won't abandon them in the wilderness. And you know the story from there. Aaron fashions them a golden calf. And when they see it, they say, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The third test is the test of idolatry. And Israel fails this third test as well. A triple witness to their true character, to the true heart of Israel. And so here in Matthew 4, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the new Israel, faces the same test as the old. The tempter says, your God has abandoned you in this wilderness. Who knows what has become of him? But I'm right here. I can be your God. I can give you all power and authority and influence and rule. All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. At the end of his 40 days atop the mountain, Moses came down in anger. And he burned the golden calf with fire and he ground it to powder. Here, at the end of his 40 days, Jesus, the greater Moses, crushes the false god that has been set before him. Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, Jesus replies with the word of God. That same passage in Deuteronomy 6 where Moses counsels the people of Israel, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear you shall not go after other gods. You see, where God's first son, Israel, failed the third test and fell into idolatry, 
Jesus shows himself to be the true Israel, the faithful son. He crushes the serpent's head and he holds fast to the true God, keeping his commandments and keeping his worship pure. And Satan obeys the son's command. Verse 11, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The test is past, and the test is past. The Son of God shows his character, shows his quality. The new Joshua has taken the lesson of Israel's wilderness to heart. The Son has matured in glory and strength, and he is now ready to enter the land and defeat his enemies. That's what's happening in Matthew chapter 4. The imagery is very clearly that imagery from Israel's wilderness journey. And these correlations are not coincidental. These tests are not arbitrary. These scripture quotations are not random. The sovereign God has clearly put his son Jesus through the very same test through which he put Israel. And the difference is striking, isn't it? Jesus is faithful where Israel was not. Jesus succeeds at each point where Israel failed. And thus we see that all God's designs for Israel are fulfilled in Jesus. All of God's promises find their yes and amen in Jesus. Indeed, that's the whole point of Matthew's gospel. But we still ask, why? Why is this important? Why did God have to send his son into the wilderness? Why did God have to hand his son over to the tempter? Why did God allow his son to be tested and tried again and again? And it doesn't stop in Matthew 4. Jesus is tested and tempted all throughout his ministry. Why? The author of Hebrews helps us to understand Hebrews 2.10 says, It was fitting that he, God the Father, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The author of Hebrews is telling us God has a goal, God has an objective, God has a purpose for humanity. God is bringing many sons to glory. What is God's goal? What is the Bible about? What is human history about? God is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And because God is bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that he should make the founder of their salvation, the true son, the son above all sons, it was fitting that God should make that son perfect. And the word perfect here in the Greek is, is related to that word telos, which you may know. It refers to, to the goal of something, the end of something, the completion of something, the fullness of something. Now, when we're talking about sons, we might call the perfection of a son maturity, wouldn't we? You grow up, you mature into what you are meant to be. God had to make his son mature, fully grown, the fulfillment of humanity itself. 
Otherwise, how could he be the founder? How could he be the savior of humanity if he himself was not the perfection of humanity? In order to bring many sons to glory, God had to bring the founder of their salvation to perfect maturity. And so how, according to the author of Hebrews, do you make a son perfect, mature? The author of Hebrews says, through suffering. Through suffering. Just as our physical bodies do not grow and mature without suffering, bones must ache and fissure before they can fuse and harden. Muscles must strain and tear before they can heal and grow strong. So, humanity itself in this fallen world must be tested and tried in order to mature to the glory God designs. And the author of Hebrews also specifically identifies this suffering that brings maturity, the suffering of Jesus, with testing, with temptation. The same word we have here in Matthew 4. The author of Hebrews says of Jesus, because he himself has suffered when tempted, when tested, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The author of Hebrews elsewhere says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to uh, help in time of need. That's why Jesus had to be led into the wilderness by the Spirit. This is why the greater Son has to succeed where all other sons have failed, so that He could be matured in glory and become the founder of our salvation. The Son had to be tempted so that He could help those who are being tempted. The Son had to be glorified so that he could bring many sons to glory. And so Jesus, the better Israel, the Son of God, passed the test. And because he was faithful, where all other sons were faithless, the Father gives Jesus all the things with which Satan had tempted him. The Father did give Jesus bread. He made his own flesh the bread of life. He filled Jesus with eternal life. Though death had thrown Jesus down, the Father bore him up, raising him from the grave. And because Jesus crushed the serpent idol under his feet and worshiped the Father alone, the Father did give him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, all authority in heaven and on earth. You see, in the resurrected Jesus, God brought His beloved Son to glory as He had intended all along. And now, through this glorious Son, God is bringing many sons to glory. And that's where we come into this story. Peter Lightheart says, This is the way the Father worked with His Son Israel and His Son Jesus. It's the way He works with all His sons and daughters. He gives us the Spirit 
exhorts us to follow the Spirit. And then the Spirit leads us into the valley of death or into the howling waste. This is how our Father brings us to maturity by placing devils and Satans and accusers and dangers in our way. He does not intend evil. He intends it for our good. He intends it to strengthen our hands for war so that we grow in faith and hope in God. You see, God is still bringing many sons to glory in His church through testing, through suffering. And what are we growing up into? What are we maturing into? Paul says, Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. The Father tests us the way He tested Jesus because the Father is shaping us into the image of Jesus. For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. We are Christ's brothers and sisters. We are sons and daughters of the Father. So we can be sure the Father will test us too. That's what He does with His children. There will be times when we hunger, when we have no bread. More broadly, there will be times where our basic needs are in question, where we can't make ends meet, where we wonder where the next meal is coming from or when the electricity will be shut off. But because Christ passed the test, even in those times, we too can find satisfaction in the Word of God. That the promises of God offer a truer and a deeper life than the fleeting life even of this world. There will be many times in our lives where it seems God is absent. We feel God has abandoned us in this wilderness. And the glorious redemption of the past, the glorious redemption He's worked for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus will not seem sufficient. We will demand God show up right here, right now. Do something about this present suffering we face. Relieve this pain. Heal this sickness. Restore this relationship. God, if you are really there, do something. We'll be tempted to put God to the test. But because Jesus did not leap from the pinnacle, and because Jesus did not come down from the cross, we too can refuse to put God to the test. We can take God at His word. Trust that He will do all He has promised. Trust that even if He does not deliver us from the test that is most pressing right now, He will one day deliver us from death and raise us with Christ. And there will be times when we are tempted by idolatry. Right? There's an endless parade of idols that tempt us. Wealth, respect, approval, influence, intelligence, authority. Anything which promises to offer us 
safety and security, to offer us pleasure and peace and happiness. Right? All these things, all these idols promise to give us the world if we will but bow down and worship them, if we will prize them above God in our hearts. But because Jesus refused to worship any other God, because He refused to serve any other Master, we too can pass the test. We can trust that Jesus has crushed our idols. And through Him, we too can give all worship and honor and service to the true God. The greater Israel, the only faithful son, the only grown-up the world has ever seen, Jesus Christ. He entered into the wilderness. He endured temptation and testing. He remained faithful. He was tempted that he might help those who are being tempted. He was glorified that he might bring many sons to glory. Let's give him praise together. Lord Jesus Christ, you live by every word from the mouth of God. You endured the cross rather than put your father to the test. You worshiped and served the true God alone. For this, we hail you, the founder of our salvation. Great high priest, you have in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So with confidence, we draw near to your throne of grace. You who have passed the test, lead us through this wilderness of this fallen world. Deliver us from the evil one. Mature us through suffering and bring us to glorious resurrection with you. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.